Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to episode two of Staying Alive with me, Jesse Smith, a podcast about staying afloat in the ever-changing ocean that is a creative arts industries. Thank you so much to all of you who tuned in for our first ever episode on Monday with Pete Thorne. If you haven't heard it yet, you can go back and download it from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe as we have tons of amazing guests lined up in the coming weeks. Podcasts are a wonderful thing and I've never found them so important as in this isolation period. They can keep us occupied during the hoovering, keep us company when we're feeling lonely, and also give us some sense of routine when we know our favourite pod is dropping tomorrow. From now on, every Monday, Staying Alive will be floating from the sky onto your device, and we really need and appreciate your support. Please subscribe, and if you can, pop over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review, as that massively helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners. This, along with word of mouth, is the best and easiest way to help us grow, so please shout it from the rooftops. Today's guest is a pop rock starlet and singing sensation. She has written some of the biggest hits of the 80s, including Heart and Soul, Valentine and China in Your Hand. Her band to Powell's first album, Bridge of Spies, went quadruple platinum in the UK, and they continue to tour and play festival shows to this day. Their brand new single, Be Wonderful, along with the lockdown videos, out now, so go and check that out after the pod. Speaking to me in between gin and tonics from her home in Henley, today's guest is the very brilliant Carol Decker. Just as a little disclaimer for this episode, with us being in lockdown, we're having to record all these conversations over Skype, and sometimes the sound quality isn't as perfect as we'd like it to be, so please bear with us. I, I just think if, we would, if, if the government could say two more weeks and we'll start easing up, if we all have something to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. Like a, like a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And yeah, I, yeah. And listening to the radio, people are already saying since the extended the announcement of extended lockdown, they are seeing an increase in traffic and people at bus stops because people are just fed up and they're going, fuck it, I'm going out or right. I'm getting a job at Tesco's or, or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one because for, for me, like I, we're recording, by the way. So, okay. um, uh, yeah, so um, like I've... I, We've been going out a bit, like going to the park and stuff, because we've got a lovely park just around the corner from us. But I, I sort of feel guilty every time I leave the house, every time I even just go for a walk. And I know I shouldn't because it's, you know, you've, you've got to get out at some point. But yeah, I don't know. I don't because um, firstly, we're blessed living in a smaller town with some space. Yeah. And secondly, everybody is observing the distancing, which is quite funny because it looks you're walking along. Um, in a field, there's a dog walking field opposite us, and you'll see a person coming towards you the other way, like 50, 100 yards away. And then this strange choreography goes 
honours, do I go to the left? <laughs> if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Yeah. But it has made my daughter really nervous to leave the house. And I had to really persuade her to come to the supermarket with me because I didn't want her to be paranoid. And, and uh, we do have some masks because um, Richard is in a search and rescue team. So he's got a little bit of gear anyway, protect, you know, PPE, just mm. a couple of masks in his bag. And I said, here, have, have, have one of Dad's masks. And she, she was incredibly nervous. Mm. And I find I, if, I, as long as people keep their distance, I'm not actually, I'm not actually nervous. Yeah, you know, I yeah. don't, I don't feel guilty about leaving the house because we, we are responsible when we do it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. We we went for a little drive the other day actually, and we just because um, obviously we're in we're in West London, so it's quite built up, and there's mm. you know there's, there's always people around, you know, wherever we go. So yeah. we um, we drove out and. Um, we just felt so guilty we drove down to Mar- to Marlow and we just parked in a car park and just walked around this like abandoned um sort of down by the river nobody was there it was like totally yeah. empty and we literally sat down for we must have been there we had a little walk and then we sat on a bench for about six minutes and we're like we're looking around for like the, the park police to come and arrest us oh you, know, you were so just, close just, to me just, just so for sick close. I know I know exactly well um I there's a, I, I've seen in Henley a few people just sat in the middle of the field that, you know, they put their bikes down, sat for a five minute rest. They're not near anybody. No one's near them. I'm not going to call the police. Yeah. <laughs> and as long as people are not near each other, you know, there have been some oafs in our local supermarket who just blunder through mm. and don't give a shit about the the footprints marked out on the floor and and that one way system that's winding me up when people aren't doing the one way system yeah and and i'm not paranoid about it you know um but i'm respectful but um they're annoying me and i have turned around and glared there's one guy like just standing on my shoulder last night i popped to the local shop just to to top up on the tonic (laughs) (laughs) which isn't tonic going down well and he was just like he just kind of Walk through the supermarket really fast, pushing past people, and then just right behind me, kind of clearly was impatient. And I turned around and just gave him the death stare. So yeah. he, he stepped back. <laughs> well, you can't you can't teach pork, can you? I know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the burning question on the nation's lip at the, the lips at the moment is: How's your watercress germinating? Um, it's it's tall, it's big, and um, Richard says another. I don't know, centimetre, and it's ready to go into an egg and cress sandwich. Amazing. <laughs> I obviously saw that on Twitter. You're quite active on Twitter, aren't you? I like Twitter. It's in the Times today. Is it in the Times, is it? Everybody wow. sent me a picture. <laughs> Three people text me a picture. Amazing. Um, of, I guess uh, it's a good platform for you because it's, it's short and sweet and, and you, you're not somebody who beats around the bush, so it's good. You can get your point across. And I quite like it. Well, I, my main aim... Um, is to and what I hated with the whole three years of Brexit was that everything got really nasty, really, mm. really nasty. All the fun went out of it, and um, it made me sad. And but now I know this is a serious matter. Of course, it's a very serious matter. But I I think it's my job to cheer people up. Yeah, um, I'm just putting up stupid pictures and jokes and. 
and just trying to make people laugh really you know Um, and I enjoy that I I like to crack a gag you know me yeah exactly Um, brilliant brilliant. I'm not so good good on the insta because I'm not I just keep forgetting to do it but I think that really suits some people yeah Jess all her makeup's amazing yeah, would you, Jess, um, for those of you that don't know, yeah, is, yeah. is uh, Jess Cheatham. She's an amazing makeup artist. Yeah. And she's great friends with, obviously, my girlfriend, Bea, and um, and our, our sort of our shared friends. <laughs> exactly, our shared guitarist. So exactly, yeah. Why, why, why don't you explain how you stole my guitarist? How I stole your guitarist? Okay, <laughs> well, um, I this is going back a few years because you two are knocking on a bit. I can't believe James is thirty. I'm going to have to get a young hot guitarist. <laughs> We're past it. We're totally Again. past it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's more years ago. I can't remember. It's seven years ago, I think. And um, we had some new neighbours moving next to us with their kids, and um, their son started drumming. We could hear all this drumming, and my son showed an interest in drumming, so we bought him a a kid he was only 10 at the time and then my neighbour said oh you uh, Dylan was having his lessons at school and they said oh you should try our, our drum teacher he also teaches guitar and so I got James's number and he came round and then Richard my husband also plays guitar he said to James would you give me a couple of guitar lessons so I was in the kitchen and they were just in the hall by the piano and noodling around and I I thought really good but he was only yeah. like he was 23 or something that's right um yeah. and um and so i said do you want to do some playing for me and we had a i've been asked to do an acoustic gig for um bodine's restaurants yeah yeah it was like the annual party or something like that and so um i got um james and i don't know if you know mim gray she's an amazing backing vocalist mm. And uh, Matt Backer, who's another fantastic guitarist that I work with, and James. And um, James just took over the rehearsal. He's got he had a natural authority. He's got like a mind like a steel trap for the chords and the notes, and and he just bossed us all around. <laughs> <laughs> As a twenty-four-year-old. Yeah, that was it. And uh, then he's been he's been my wingman and yours <laughs> for longer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Luckily, well, we have we haven't had a clash yet, have we? I don't know what we're going to do when that happens. <laughs> yeah, he's he, he's yeah. not a very argumentative person, is he? I mean, I, I've known Ashby obviously. No, since. no, 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 not me and him. Me and you. Oh, us too. Us <laughs> the bands haven't had a clash. Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> I yeah, see I'm going to have to take it outside, Ben, if we need him on the same night. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I, I think you'd win that one. To be honest carol um yeah i mean obviously i've known ashby since i was about 10 and i think we, we started writing songs together when we were 14 or whatever so he, he's a he's a good lad and he's always i, I call him like the utility man because he's he always just plays the right thing i think you always need someone in a band like that who can just makes him sound like a plumber yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe that's not too complimentary but do you know what I mean, though? Like, there's this flashier guitarist out there, but he always just does the right thing for the song, and I think that's a really important skill no, to have. He has got a beautiful, beautiful touch. He really has, and yeah, and he looks great. And he, he and because you two both went to like stage school, and you've done work in movies and stuff, he's got a great sense of performance. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I, when, you know, I just I love I love it, love being on stage with him. And what makes me laugh is um. Ronnie Rogers, who's the sort of other founder member of Power With Me, who co-wrote all of our songs and all of our hits. 
can never ever remember the chords to any middle eight he ever wrote. <laughs> and so I'll be in the middle of them on stage, and I know there's a middle eight coming up, and I'll see Ron just look across the stage, and I'll look at James, and he's mouthing, I know, <laughs> like in the middle of the show. <laughs> While I remember, actually, Ashby told me this story a little while ago um, about you were doing a big festival and uh, your keyboard player, is it is it his name Carsten? Carsten, yeah. Yeah, apparently he hadn't changed the patch. Uh, to, And so basically he started playing China in Your Hand in like a, basically a semitone up to how you were normally playing it or yeah. something. And then Ash, Ashby just sort of heard and sort of like, just really lightly tapped his guitar. I was like, yeah, we're a semitone out to what we've rehearsed and had to run around each member of the band individually during the intro. Yeah. Unbeknownst to you, I imagine, because you were singing it. Yeah. Uh, and so that when that first that first big chord came in in the chorus that you were all in tune, I thought that was an amazing story. <laughs> Just the, the oh, panic. I don't know. I don't know. It, it, uh, it, things like that don't happen very often, but uh, fantastically they can cope. James can cope with stuff like that. He's brilliant at it. Yeah, yeah. And the whole band are great. You know, I get to work with some just donking people. I'm really grateful for that. Well, do, do you mind if we go back to the beginning and just talk about um, talk about how the band formed and where you grew up and stuff? And so you 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 were born near Merseyside, is that right? I and then you moved down to I was born in Highton, mm. which is um, a sort of suburb of Liverpool. And uh, we left when I was seven, so I don't know Liverpool incredibly well, um, really, because I grew up in Shropshire. We moved to Shropshire, mm-hmm. um, and that was quite kind of. I, I probably love it now, but growing up, when I got to about sixteen, I got very bored because it's um, rural, you know, it's all countryside. Yeah, and. Um, I went to school in Wellington, and then I went to art school in Shrewsbury. And when I was at art school, I sort of met different kinds of people. A lot of people in the media business uh, went to, to art school, and you sort of meet very, you know, I'd gone to, just to backtrack, I'd gone to a very straight girls' grammar school. Where mm. It felt like a, you know, square peg and hole. Yeah, and then finally yeah. I got to art school and sort of met like-minded people and got invited to a party, got chatting to somebody who was a guitarist, and I'd always fancied having a go at singing. I knew I could sing because I always got a lot of compliments when I, if I sang along to anything as a kid and I could always harmonise very easily and um, so I auditioned for this band and uh, we literally were a garage band in um, and in a drummer's garage which was inconveniently located in on a farm in Ludlow which was uh, 20 miles away from Shrewsbury right. so we used to do a 40 mile round trip to rehearse in this freezing garage and we would um, gig um, as a covers band to, to earn money and then we yeah. would also be writing our own thing and sending tapes away and in those days it was you know you made a demo tape you'd go into a little local studio get some songs down make a demo cassette and uh, send it off to the record companies you know to the try and get a hold an A&R person's name although sometimes it would just be generic the A&R department you know and yeah. uh, and back then um, the record com- the record industry was so different. All the big labels had um, regional offices, so right. you hoped to get the scout from Birmingham or, in our case, you know, uh, Birmingham Wolverhampton was our closest biggest cities. 
So try and get them to come to your gig. So or try and get a gig in London, and that was always quite hard because, um, you know, we'd have to travel all the way from Shrewsbury to London, which was like three hours. Mm. And our guitarist, um, he was also the manager of the local uh, music store. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we used to get the PA. You had to take your PA with you in those days as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we'd have to wait for Julian to finish work, load up the PA, and he had the van. And often people were in the van because they had a van. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. He was actually a very good guitarist as well. And so we'd leave Shrewsbury at six and get to some crap hole like the Sir George Roby in Archway. He's probably gone there. And play to the bartender and his dog and the A&R guy who promised he'd turn up wouldn't, didn't. Um and it was just a slog. I would imagine it's probably still similar in some ways, but we didn't have social media. You didn't have YouTube. You couldn't build a platform. You had to do it old school, just, you know, play in clubs and pubs and hope hope somebody noticed you, came to see you. So you'd send your tapes off and hope they'd come and see you. And after what seemed like an eternity... Um, Oh, and by this time I'd met Ronnie. He was in another local band and we'd met and we we really liked each other. So we got personally involved and he left his band and joined mine. And then finally we got some record company attention. We got some management in London. How, we, how long how long was it this, since you sort of started gigging like that and do, doing the slog, like you said, till till you actually sort of got that attention? Because obviously this, this podcast is called Staying Alive and the, the point of it is trying to, sort of stories for people that are sort of maybe up and coming or trying to start out by themselves. I know obviously it's a lot different these days, but yeah. you know, how, how long were you, well, how long were you us, sort of slogging it, was, it out? Well, I, I was um, late to the party. I was 22 when I finally decided to go for it mm. and, you know, try it as a career. And I was 26 by the time we got London management. Mm. So, you know, that was four years of kind of just, doing the rounds, you know, and, and being the unwelcome interruption in the bingo in some working man's <laughs> club. <laughs> that uh, was, uh, we always talk about, um, I was talking to my friend Wayne the other day about this as, as well, about the kind of the Hamburg thing and the, the sort of 10,000 hours. And that it sounds like that period was probably that for you if you were just gigging all the time. Because you, you learn on the job, don't you? You learn how to be on stage and yeah. how, to, how to look after your voice and all that stuff, you know. Well, funnily enough, um, Roy Thomas Baker, who who eventually went on to produce our first two albums, you know, who produced uh, Queen, Bo Rap, loads of people, the Cars, Motley Crue, you name it. He mm. came to see us in Hamburg. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were playing. Um, what's it called? Grosser Height or something. It was a big club. I think the Beatles had played there. It had been there for a long time, Mm-mm. and he came to see us there. So yeah, so four years to get the management. Yeah, and then another two years with that management, and we were sort of elevating ourselves a little in terms of the gigs we were doing and the people we were meeting. But we were still getting this kind of close but no cigar reaction mm. to everything we did. Um, and then finally, when I was like twenty-eight, and I was thinking, "Oh my god," I always looked really, really, really young. Um, and it didn't occur to me that my age would be a problem until people were pointing out, oh, my God, you know, she's nearly 30. That's like geriatric in terms of us trying to sell her as a pop star. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, of course, it's different for girls, as Joe Jackson said. Um, 
finally, we uh, got a positive response from a label called Siren. And Siren were owned by Virgin. Back then, Virgin had a load of little labels. They had um, Circa and Ten and Siren. And they all had different sort of identities like dance and hip hop. And we were kind of more kind of pop rock. And um, they put us into this studio called Nomis, which is one of the biggest rehearsal studios in London in Shepherd's Bush. And, okay. uh, and that was exciting. That was super exciting, just being yeah. there. And they came to see us and we did a showcase. And they, they we did three songs. And the reason we did three songs is we didn't have a band. Right. Uh, Ronnie, and I, Ronnie and I had branched out, had left the local bands. Uh, my dad lent us some money and we got home recording stuff and we just invested in that. And then when we finally got an opportunity to showcase, we um, used, um, we didn't have a keyboard player and uh, we'd been working with a guitarist and a drummer that our management had introduced us to. Uh, well, oh yeah, we took a bass player from Shrewsbury, yeah, just to do that. And um, the keyboard player got, we just sent him the tapes and he said he'd learn them. And then he didn't turn up till like almost quarter of an hour before the record company were due to arrive. And I'm, I'm telling you, I've never been so nervous in my life. I felt like this was my last chance. Wow. And I, want, I was going to kill this guy. His name was uh, he's Scotty. I was going to fucking murder him. <laughs> and he, he walked in. He's, he's, um, he's a Scottish guy. He walked in and just aced it. And I, I later God, went yeah. on. His name's escaping me now, which is no good for the interview. But I later went on to discover that he's one of the most multi-talented musicians you'll ever meet. He can play anything. I hadn't met people like that. You play guitar or you play keyboards or you were the drummer. Mm. But, you know, I mean, like, you can play loads of things. And going back to Ashby, he can drum, he can play keys, he can play piano, and he can play guitar. I didn't meet people like that. So, you know, I, I absolutely wanted to murder him. And I'd never met I'd never met a session guy either. That session guy is just, you send them the tapes and the charts and they learn it. They learn it I, in the car on the way there and they just nail it, don't they? Yeah, no, our band, <laughs> everything was like pulling teeth. We were really bad musicians. So we had to like rehearse for hours to get it right. So when mm. he didn't turn up till like 15, 20 minutes before the record company were due to to watch us and listen to us, I was having kittens. I bet. <laughs> but anyway, um, it went really well. And the record company, Siren, said, um, let's do it right in front of us. You know, let's do it. And we all shook on it. And we were just, I think we went out and got completely pissed in some pub around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame you. Don't yeah, blame. and and then um, we were on Virgin internationally because that was the mother label. And then, obviously, I can't go through my life in real time. No, no, no. It's going to take too long. And the rest, as they say, is history. You know, and we went out to America. We were out, outside Chicago doing Bridge of Spies. And that was kind of like a, a huge album. And then we did Rage with Roy as well, which was also a platinum album, which was absolutely fantastic. We moved on to another producer called Andy Richards to do The Promise, which went top 10, a um, couple of top 20 singles off it. But it was all starting to kick the other way. And people were losing interest, unfortunately. Um, these things happen. I can talk about it philosophically now. Mm. At the time, it really hurt. And I was in a mad panic, you know. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but it happens to a lot of bands. And, um, you know... It, it does. It's a bit like being, I don't know, a sports person or something. For for a lot of people, it's a short life and a, a merry one, isn't it? You know, it's a, 
kind of an exhausting career. Um, But But sorry, go on, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say, but obviously, it's kind of gone full circle now because you're you know you're still out there doing it you've got a, obviously a, still a, a massive fan base who come out to see you and you tour and you know so how how did how did you go from that to to where you are now like obviously there was there was some bad times like you're saying but obviously yeah you're... well there were so if we came across the 90s the original lineup broke up in 91 we got dropped by the label and then ronnie and i broke up on a personal level in 93 and that was really really hard and i was in a mess frankly I just kind of um, didn't know what to do with myself no one was interested oh my god had the music scene changed you were talking about the Stone Roses um, Mm -hmm. Blur Oasis Farm you know you name it all these bands and we were just a joke an 80s pop rock band we were a joke the musical scene had changed completely Um, and so I I just kind of fortunately because I'd written all the hits with Ron I'd, I'd made a little bit of money and I was able to probably indulge myself too much in just, <clears throat> you know, kicking back and not really being very productive. I went out to the States for a while, got friends out there. I was living out in L.A. for about four months. And then I I came back and I started doing a bit of radio presenting and stuff like that. Cause it, a bit of a name, you know, the phone would ring now and again. Say, hey, do you want to, you know, do you want to do a little bit for Virgin or something? Mm. So it kept me busy. And I did a bit of writing um, publisher kept putting me in to write with different people but didn't really come up with anything never got anywhere and then in 97 um, I met a guy called Will Ashurst who had his own he'd worked for EMI and he had his own video production company and uh, we got chatting in the pub at the end of my road uh, just at the bar and uh, we got on like a house on fire and he put a band around me, which consisted of his brother, Jez, and Dave Hattie, who's still playing drums for me now. Yeah. Um, and I started gigging again. And he introduced me to Richard, my now husband. And it just, I just started building back up. And um, I started doing some acting. I did some West End. I did a couple of sort of low-key t- television roles. And I... I just things started coming my way, you know, little opportunities. Mm. And then in 2001, I got a call from a, a promoter called Tony Denton saying, do you want to go on an 80s arena tour with Paul Young, Kim Wilde, go Western China Crisis? You know, we use a big house band, jump on, do 20 minutes. And it was like, all you know, like the Wembley, the SEC, the NEC, all places like that, which we used to sell out ourselves. So I was like, oh, yeah, it'd be great to be back on those big stages. Even for 20 minutes and um and that was the start of it and so the 80s renaissance just hasn't stopped and keeps me really busy as you know yeah it seems like um, yeah, the 80s is just it, it's been in renaissance for the last like i don't know 15 years or something I <laughs> it's ridiculous. and i have lots to be grateful for i i would love it i'm putting a new single out on maybe eight to download single could be wonderful and I put, you know, I put out a. Not, I'm not massively productive. I've got, to, got to admit, you know, we've had an album out and a couple of download singles, um, and it's frustrating not to get attention for your new stuff, especially if you feel enthusiastic about it. That's always a bit frustrating. But you know, don't get out your tiny violin because I still do really well and yeah. <laughs> work a lot, and and I have a great life. You know, um, I drive Ronnie up the wall. Who just loves 
because I still do most of my writing with him, and he loves just work working for the work's sake. Yeah. And I'm not as honourable or as altruistic as that. I'm like, no, I want to be on the telly. <laughs> I want to hear everybody clapping. <laughs> yeah. But well, I'm a lead singer, you know. Exactly. I'm a peacock. I'm, I'm not going to sit in the corner of a fucking wine bar and play my guitar just for the love of music. <laughs> I would have never that person. Totally. <laughs> no. I just want to ask about, just go back to something you mentioned earlier. When you, when you were talking about that audition, you said you played three songs. Which, what three, which three songs were they? Had you written, like, what was going to be the hits by then? Okay. Um, they were... Oh, my God, can I remember? They were um, On the Wing, which ended up as a B-side. Monkey House, yep. which is a favourite album track with all our fans. Yeah, and yeah. Valentine. Now, Valentine was the track that was getting us all the attention. Mm, it's a brilliant song. Thank you. Thank I you love that much. song. It's probably, it's probably, it's probably my favourite, I think. When, when you guys I, play it live, it's gorgeous. I really love that song. Thanks. I love it too. And do you know what really drives me nuts? No sure. radio stations play it when Valentine's Day is coming up. It's like oh, it's been forgotten. I know, it was top ten and everything. Um, yeah, thank you. I love it. So that was the one that was getting all the attention. So Heart and Soul wasn't written. China in Your Hand wasn't written. Mm. So it was Valentine that they were all going, okay, she can sing, this is good, you know. So yeah, it was Monkey House, Ringing a Prayer and Valentine. When when you write a song like China in Your Hand, did you just, when when you'd finished it, did you just go, this is a fucking hit? Did you know? Because obviously it's, no. it, it was five weeks at number one or something crazy, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, it was. No, um, we were out at the studio um and it was Lake Geneva. We were out in, in Wisconsin, just outside Chicago. And um, we were working on the album with Roy Thomas Baker. And one track, and I can't remember what it was, um, just wasn't working. So we were, we just got fed up. You know, Roy said, we're polishing a turd here. It's just not working. We need another another track. And um, Ronnie and I had started China. It didn't get as ideal, as I told you, because it wasn't, it didn't even exist. But so we kept, you know, you keep writing all the time. So we had this cassette. I had a cassette with me of the very early piano and sort of outline, sketchy outline of the the, the melody and the and the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And um, I put out an autobiography a few years ago. And when I was going through all my boxes to find interesting things to go in it, I found, and I hadn't laid eyes on this for nearly 30 years myself my original notebook with all the original lyrics in with all the bits crossed out and the subject you know no, no it's better said like this you know so that actually put a lump in my throat to see those early notes that uh. I'd scribbled out in America because Roy had, you know Roy said let me hear this I said I've got this this cassette this is all I've got we don't really have another song ready he said let me hear it and he just went that's a hit just on the piano and vocal dodgy early demo cassette in my pocket because mm. that's what made him the great producer that he was he could hear it you know he had an objective but, it's all about the song carol at the end of the day and you, you were saying yeah. you were saying earlier you know you don't play this you don't play that but at the end of the day it's the song it always wins doesn't it and yeah it, you know when, when you're writing songs like that obviously yeah. they're gonna always happen. so well you know so but the thing about china is it works beautifully just piano vocal it mm. works beautifully acoustic guitar and vocal because it's a traditional old style song. Absolutely, yeah. Um, 
But then Roy put all the strings and the bells and whistles behind it, like he does, because he does massive production. Mm. And then just lately, last year, 2019, I had the privilege of performing with the London Philharmonic. Yeah, I saw some videos of that. Yeah, yeah. and um, Opera North Orchestra and Leeds. And so, to ha- so it really scales up orchestrally as well. Mm. So, Definitely. you know... Well, a great song works in different formats, doesn't it? In it different... does, and 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 we did. Ronnie and I did write it, and I'll take full credit for that. And thank you. But no, you never know. Otherwise, we could all, you know, you could figure out how to write a number one every week, can you? Yeah. It's it's that je ne sais quoi, and um, and the television program has absolutely ruined this expression. But it's the X factor. It's an ingre- it's a, it's a a magical ingredient. And then yeah. the, the right song at the right time as well. And Yes, yeah, timing. You know, yeah, of course, yeah. Okay. Another thing I really wanted to ask, because obviously I've known you for a few years and, you you know, you don't take any shit and you speak your mind and stuff, but what was it like as as a as a young female at that time in the 80s in, in obviously what's a really male-dominated industry? Did you have to deal with any shit? You obviously said earlier it's different for girls, but I know you obviously, you were dating Ronnie and you were with, with him, so that might have helped, I suppose. But I just want, wanted to ask... If, if it was rough being a female in the industry when you first started out? Um, I didn't notice it. Maybe I was protected by being in a relationship. I don't know. Because uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't have to... I had a few unsavoury moments with a few uh, men, but I wasn't ever in danger. You know, mm. one, for example, was a really, really, really big music publisher, the head of Chrysalis Publishing, and, um, you know, he, he invited me to a meeting. I was on my way back to Monmouth because Ronnie and I had purchased a place up there and we had our studio installed. And he said, oh, I'm going to Bristol, you know. But then we can sit, there's a great restaurant on the way. Should we hook up there, finish the meeting? Then, you know, we can both fire up the M4. And I was like, yeah, sure, that makes sense because I lived in London at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he said, you know, another glass of wine. I went, no, I'm driving, thanks. And he went, well, there are rooms here. And, I, and even then I went, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, you know, we could um, we could finish this upstairs. And I suddenly went, oh, I yeah. didn't, didn't realise. I was never looking for it. I never, ever used my looks to get me anywhere. I, not outside of um, when I step on a stage, I hope I look nice. I, I would, you know, we all, you know, like, like to think we're attractive or make the most of ourselves. But that was another, like... Oh, let's just hoy up my Gossard Wonder Bra and see if I can get a record deal. Yeah, I was never that girl, so I was never looking for it. And I, it, it used to like hit me smack in the middle of the head, going, "Oh shit, you tied it on!" I didn't even realize. You know, I was so like maybe naive to the world. I just wasn't looking out for that kind of thing, so it would take me by surprise when it happened. Yeah. But I didn't have anything dangerous happen to me, and uh, I'm a, I don't think I'm the kind of girl that attracts it either. Mm. Um, and in terms of glass ceiling, maybe that was there. But again, I had my head down working hard. You know what I mean? I was just writing songs, recording, touring. Mm. Um, I now, now I'm older and, you know, I'm in my 60s now. So I think when I got to my mid-50s, I started feeling the sort of, the pinch of my age in terms of you know I think in our business it probably is different for girls but I think it's 
probably the same for guys a little bit too, you know. You're a good looking guy that fronts a band and part of your kind of part of your gifts, isn't it? Doesn't hurt to be easy on the eye along with what you do. But it's um, an interesting thing, isn't it? Because I, I look at shows like the voice and stuff like that and yeah and you know it, it's it's a lovely kind of it's a lovely thought to sit there with your eyes closed and listen to someone sing and go oh aren't they brilliant but it is about the package isn't it it's about it's about how you perform and how you yeah. look and whether you connect exactly. with people yeah yeah um so i'm not sure that I, yeah i never never was sure about that because it, it almost devalues the way the, the way that you look and perform and you know, that, that's a big part of you, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, I, I I think I just took being young and reasonably attractive for granted. I think since I've gotten older, I, I, I feel I feel that, you know, I, I sort of see pictures of myself and think, oh, really? Because in my head, I'm still that girl. <laughs> it's hard to come to terms with what I really look like now I'm older so in that regard maybe the industry doesn't let you grow up there's a bit of Peter Pan about it and mm-hmm. you know maybe you infantilize yourself and you don't mature because you think I need to always be that girl when anybody the thing is, is, me. thing is as well nowadays though Carol is that like I mean I get this all the time when when you're on stage and you know, there might be like a proper pro photographer then. They take great pictures and they send them to you via Dropbox and you, you get to pick the ones you like and then you can post them. But these days, people, they're right down the front. They've got a shitty little camera. They take a picture of you with, with like five double chins and then they post them all over your wall. And you're like, fuck off, mate. I don't want... Oh, no. You know, so it, it happens to, to to all of us, and there's no, there's almost no filter of it these days. So like, look at these yeah. brilliant pictures I took of Jesse's nose hairs. You know. Yeah, I know, I know, and uh, yeah, it's horrible. But what can you do? You know, I just have to, I just have to calm myself down and say, don't yeah. do <laughs> But you know, um, we're in a tough business, and it's it belongs to the young our business. You know, a lot of it does, and I think I've got to move out of. Young pop, young pop star into mature singer, well, and I, I think th- it's holding on to that. I'm a, I'm a sort of sexy girl front in a rock band. You have to let that go at some point and become an artist. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, I think it's hard to let yourself grow up. You know. Yeah, I think I think also, especially when you're the front front person in a band, you you have such a tendency to overthink everything. And at the end of the day, Carol, people are coming to see you because they love your voice and love your songs. And uh, oh. you know, I'm I'm, I'm 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 sure I'm sure they all leave having had a wonderful time. And you know, all the turmoil that you go through as an artist off stage is kind of irrelevant, really, isn't it? Like yeah. to their to them anyway. No, they they've paid to have a good time, and you you've got to make sure that they have it. You know. Exactly, and uh, I can't wait to get back on a stage. <laughs> I know. Have you, have you had to cancel a lot of shows? Have you? I haven't cancelled them, but they've all been pulled. So mm. every single one for the for the entire year. I had a load of orchestral shows in Germany that were in November, and because Germany's got a different lockdown ease up to us, the promoter was hopeful it's going to mm. continue. But the other day, I had a, a whole load of substitute dates for next November. Mm-hmm. which they haven't said we're pushing it back to next November, but I think that's the first step. You know, they're just saying, if we have to put it, push it back to next November, can you do these dates instead? Mm. 
I was actually in Germany at the time. Like we flew to Germany. I was like, these gigs aren't going to happen, guys. And they were like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. The promoter's saying we're going ahead. Yeah. And, and I was at the airport and I was like, okay, whatever. I'll come because obviously I wanted to get paid. And yeah. then we, we got to... We got to the hotel, we had dinner, we went to bed, we woke up, the whole tour had been cancelled. <laughs> and we flew home the next day. And then, but we were actually really lucky because I, I think if we'd have been, if it had been like two days later, we would have been stuck because there was a, I think there was a lockdown totally on flights and stuff. Yeah, and no, you wouldn't travel. have got home. It's just, that's what I yeah. mean. You know, I'm having an easy lockdown. I'm in my home, I've got a garden, I can walk my dog, I can pop to the supermarket. In fact, the thrill of my day is instead of going to Tesco, sometimes I drive to the little co-op in the neighbouring village and that's the highlight of my day. <laughs> you know what? Yesterday, we, uh, me and, me and Bea, my girlfriend, we, we, um, we went to a little, we went for a like, daily walk around the park, but there's a little restaurant just opposite us called Sekulo, which is awesome at Italia. It's like a Sicilian uh, yeah. re- restaurant and we've been getting coffee just because we miss having a proper coffee and we went in there we were like guys any chance you could do like a prosecco takeaway and they were like yeah no worries so we, we had prosecco in coffee cups and walked around the park we oh were gi- i'm so jealous it was so I'm nice so we were giggling like little schoolgirls because we yeah. were just like we felt so naughty that we were like drinking and out you know outside it's bizarre like oh, the, I, the small see, pleasures i love the pub i'm not a sophisticated person i d- all we do, all I do, in fact, when I met my husband, I met him in a pub. <laughs> I love a pub. I just love a pub. Couple of drinks in a pub. It's my church. You know, you get chatting to people. You put the world to rights, don't you? Sort it all out. And I miss that. And although I, you know, we've got, you can drink at home as much as you like. It's not the same. Yeah, you know? I have to say, when I asked you to do this podcast, it, <laughs> you, you, you texted me about saying, yeah, I don't mind having a chat, I'm just drinking anyway. So I should I <laughs> no, should have called this podcast Legitimising Day Drinking with Jesse I Spring. know, well, it was just when you said, um, you know, how uh, how productive are you being? And I thought, oh, God, I'm not. But anyway, sorry, on that note, I'm probably jumping from topic to topic. That's all right. No, I said we're putting the, a single out on May the 8th called Be One yeah. I have done a video, a lockdown video. Awesome. So my kids... Scarlett and Dylan are both on creative media production courses, so they know how to edit and film and storyboard and everything. So we've done uh, the video at home, starring me, the chickens, the ducks and the dog. Amazing. That sounds Yeah, so um, hopefully we can get that up on social media and stuff and put the word out and, you know. As soon as this goes out, we'll obviously give it a plug as well. We'll put it in all the... uh, It'll be, yeah, it'll be on this. And um, you, you've got a book out as well, right? I'd love a copy of that. I haven't, I haven't read it. I'll have to get you one. It's called Heart and Soul. Yeah. And it's, I think it's up on Amazon, I think. Oh, and cool. uh, it's a couple of years old now, but it's still relevant, you know. And it got really nice reviews because I tell you what, it's nerve-wracking doing an autobiography because, firstly, I, I really had to be talked into it because I'm like, I'm not Madonna. Who cares? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Um, but the way I wrote it was, um, I wrote it from a sort of how you get from Sleepy Shrewsbury to the top five in the States, you know, because mm. it's not like, like I said, I left Liverpool. I didn't grow up in that great musical city mm. and I certainly didn't grow up in trendy London. So yeah. how do you get from from Shropshire with a bit of straw hanging out your mouth yeah. to... Um, to the top of the charts, hanging out with Charles and Diana and Debbie Harry and Elton John and all, you know. So I wrote it 
the unlikely rise and then the sort of professional banana skins you slip on along the way and and there's a little bit of personal stuff in there too obviously about you know the the things that went right and went wrong in my my life like everybody else's Mm. and it got it got nice reviews and that's good so it's um as you're all in lockdown folks you need to buy it it's good read (laughs) and then obviously it's a it's a difficult question to answer but what's next what's next for you guys when this is all over um, well, in the short term, we're putting the thing that we've got. Ronnie and I got three songs in the can before lockdown. Cool. That we wrote with Ashby and Luke, our bass player, and another one with our keyboard player, Carsten. So we've got them down. Um, I've done the video for the first one, like I said. So we can put a couple of singles out. We can pop them out, keep those going. And uh, and there are other ways of getting videos done, which is really intriguing. You can get... Um, animated lyric videos have you seen those mm, yeah they're really good actually yeah these companies who say you know a couple hundred quid will send us a song we'll do your video might do that for one one song I've written the next one it's about Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton so I need to look and see legally what news footage out in the public domain you could uh, put into a, a video you know a compilation video I don't know mm, yeah that'd be cool any plans for any online gigs? I personally don't have plans for online <laughs> We were talking about it before we started the podcast. I know, that. some people say to me, why don't you do an acoustic thing? I was like, I think people are suffering enough. <laughs> <laughs> I sure know, it great. doesn't appeal to me. It doesn't. I'm, I'm, I, it, it just doesn't appeal to me. I'd rather get the videos done yeah, and yeah. put some singles out and keep shiting on on Twitter. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> And then, obviously, 99.9% of my gigs have been rescheduled. So we'll get back next year, get back on the road, I suppose. Yeah, well, hopefully it all works out scheduling-wise. Yeah. I'm, wor- I'm worried that, because I've had quite a few people postpone things, and then I've just got a feeling everybody's going to want to postpone them for the same time, and suddenly you've got four tours, and you've got to pick which one you want to do. That That's my uh, issue, because yeah. I've got to work with different projects and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've already had one clash where the gigs are over an hour apart and they're festivals. And I'm like, well, if you put me on early and you put me on later, we can, we're all happy. Mm -hmm. So we all need to be realistic about this, you know? Yeah. We'll see. Cool. Well, I won't keep you too much longer, Carol. I just want to do one more thing is that, I've asked every guest that's come on so far to do this little section that I call one night only. And basically, um, I don't know. I don't know if you're into football. Actually. Are you a football fan? No. no. Okay, all. cool. Well, I'm, I'm assuming you're going to opt for the second option then. So either I've been, I've been asking people either to pick a fantasy five-side football team that they could be in or a super group that they could be in. So if you could do one, one night only a gig okay. with whoever alive or dead, who would it be? Who would be in your band? Okay. Oh shit. Um, I can't remember people's names when I need it. I would have <laughs> uh, Brandon Flowers. Cool. On. Um, He's such a I, weirdo, I'm though. Vocalist, right? I'm still a <laughs> vocalist. Yeah, yeah. Your lead vocalist. He'd have to yeah. be back in vocals. Or... Okay. Oh no. So I'm going to have to be an Ashby or aren't I? Um, <laughs> okay. So I'd have Brandon Flowers. He'd be. Uh, he'd 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 be uh, Ashby. He'd be my wingman. He's a great okay. voice. Really good guitarist. I'd have um, 
hook on bass. Cool. Uh, who did I have on the Dave Grohl drums? That's a good shout. Yeah, I have on drums. Um, who did I have on keys? Let me think. Um, Common, pretty good keyboard players. Names actually. I can't. I can't think of any good keyboard players' names. Can you? <laughs> Do you know what? I, I was just on the, the phone earlier, actually. You said to say hello to my friend Mike Lindup from Level 42. Ah. And, uh, he's, <laughs> he said to say hello to you. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's a brilliant keyboard player. All right, we'll put Mike. Mike. <laughs> Mike's yeah. in by proxy. I always remember he used to act out the, the lyrics. He's like mime all the lyrics. Da, 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 da. <laughs> all the things. Yeah. Okay, we'll put Mike on key. There you go. Okay. And uh, who else do we want? I'd still put Lily Gonzalez on precaution. She oh. plays with us. She plays with Tony Hadley. She plays with us in all the 80s things. Lily Gonzalez, she's an amazing percussion player and backing vocalist. So, oh, and I probably have Pink on backing vocals because I'm still the star, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so Pink on Pink's BVs. Awesome, yeah, she's Brandon's on BVs and, and lead guitar. Um, I wasn't putting him on rhythm. Is he a good lead guitarist, Brandon? I don't even know if he plays guitar. I think he does. Well, let's put Ashby back on lead. Ashby back in, yeah, fair and enough. And then can be rhythm and CVs, yeah. As long as, as, long as it doesn't clash with one of our gigs. All right, Carol, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. Really Take appreciate care. it. Take care. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll all see each other again at some point, but it just is fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, it is fucking weird. It is fucking weird. <laughs> all right, babe. So there we have it, episode two of Staying Alive. Thank you so much to Carol Decker. What a brilliant sport and an amazing person. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. Make sure to go and check out their brand new single, Be Wonderful, which is available now. I also really want to get my hands on one of those heart and soul autobiographies, and I suggest you do the same. Please subscribe if you haven't done already and remember to head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review as it really helps us find new listeners. Next week's guest is a very talented young singer, songwriter and musician, lead singer for the band Only the Poets, Tommy Longhurst. This has been the Jesse Smith production with music by Neil X, Mark Garfield and me. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, please email stayinalivepod at gmail.com. That's stayinalive with no G, pod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. But until then, stay safe, stay alive, and remember... But it just is fucking weird. <laughs> yeah.